Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC Vegas 86. Paul Shaughnessy here with you. Producer Megan's on the sticks. Cody Saftik is on the line. This episode of the Dogger Pass Podcast and all episodes of the Dogger Pass Podcast are brought to you by Prize Picks. Use promo code DOP when making a new account to get a match up to $100 on your first deposit. Cody, remember last episode I told you I was just like, see, the thing about my style is that like if I have eight plays... And, uh, you know, if I hit like three out of eight, I'm having a profitable night. Well, I think I had five, six plays and I went oh five and one. I had a I had the uh, the no contest. I had Ali scrab by sub, which obviously there was an eye poke in the first 30 seconds. So that's the only one I didn't lose. Felt good not losing every single bet, I suppose. Absolute bloodbath. It was bad. But I, yeah, yeah, I, was I like, maintain that Stinko sub was the only way to play Stinko. Mm. She needed to pull guard from like the hop. Like that's that that was her only path to victory. What she needed to do. I know that like no coach is gonna tell you in a corner, just like just pull guard, just pull guard. But like that was where she had literally all of her success. In the first round, sure, she almost got the armor with like ten seconds left. But in the second round, she more or less pulled guard and. She was running on fumes by then. So, yeah, the, the pay-per-view in Canada, abysmal. Last week's card, abysmal. And then you'd love to feel good and have a confidence week and a bounce-back week. But this is a 14-fight offering, and there's just zero confidence. The, not a whole lot of dogs that you love. The dogs that you are taking, you definitely don't like. You're not super fond of. So where do you find the value? Probably in totals, over-unders, uh, a couple of props here and there. But again, I mean, it's a big card, but it just feels like it's, it's so lost. A lot of these guys are either making their debut, their contender series alum, their you know late thirties back end of their career. A lot of them are capable of having a great performance. A lot of them are capable of a lot of inconsistency and throwing out a stinker. So, what side are you going to fall on? I don't know. Again, totals, props, things like that, singular bets. You might be able to find a couple niches, but for parlays, it's like you got to put some of these guys together on tickets. And the more that you add, just someone's going to go and do it. In the last couple of weeks, that's what we've been running into is that somebody's blowing it at the top. The Canada card a bit, just like I said, terrible. Last week, you know, one stinger at the top, which an otherwise felt good going into the fight. And then walking out, it's like Charles Johnson fights a career best performance on a couple weeks notice and suddenly has takedown defense. Tough one. And I mean, Maxim still could have won that fight, but he didn't. So was a close fight it just didn't go our way so yeah i mean the confidence is a little bit low and i gotta just shake it off we gotta feel good about this one hit a couple dogs where we can other than that hopefully hit a couple value plays and some props and take it from there my man paul shaughnessy i'm surprised the ufc is not doing something i don't know like good it's super bowl week there's like you know gonna be tons of people in las vegas and it's like they're holding the card at the apex I mean, I guess that kind of just shows the appetite for, like, the product right now. Because, like, you'd think that, like, maybe they would rent out, like, the Pearl at the Palms or something like that. uh, Put together a little bit more of an event. Like, nobody can attend this thing. It seems like kind of like a missed opportunity. Yeah, it does because it's in Las Vegas for sure. It's like the Super Bowl is here and there's UFC. But, again, it's just going to get lost. Like, you're living in the shadow of the Super Bowl. People are in town to see the Super Bowl. Even if you tried to throw on a small, not arena show, but, like, you know, a a bigger venue than the Apex, let's say. I don't know how many people who are already flown in town and have hotels and are going to the Super Bowl are suddenly going to say, hey, let's drop $200 to go see a UFC event the Friday before. So, 
or sorry, the Saturday before. So again, I don't know. I think the UFC just has a regular schedule. They need to pump things out to TV partners. They realize it's a Saturday, not the Sunday. So the UFC fans are obviously going to watch this and they just want to keep costs low. Again, when you look at it, it's like how many of these guys are contenders? A few guys, especially at the top of the card, you know, main event, co-main event. Besides that, it's like, it's they're absent. It's either aged veterans or guys just breaking into the company. So when you have such a large roster and you have such a commitment to X amount of shows, you just got to throw them out. And then you and I, we have that same commitment. We have a commitment to our sponsor, um, prizepix.com. Check it out. We have a commitment to them that we have to have X amount of shows as well. So every week you're just going through the grind. It's not like you're half-assing it, taking you know a week off and not doing the tape study. It's that there's so many guys that what it becomes is low-level MMA where there's a lot of variables, right? It's not necessarily the best guy versus the best guy. And low-level MMA is not a bad thing, right? Because you and I made a lot of money five years ago in this game when there was a lot of low-level guys in, in the UFC. But those low-level guys fought good guys. And you can cash in on opportunities for prices like minus 230 right nowadays it's not good guys against bad guys it's bad guys against bad this guy's going to crush that guy and he's anything better than a minus 400 favorite and even in those scenarios you still run into some 17 and 0 prospect from kazakhstan who should beat charles johnson let's be real here but doesn't so drops him in the first round almost catches him in a dars could have should have would but didn't so it's the bounces of gambling not just our sport any sport bounces of gambling but it swings one way and it swings the other way. Clearly, we've been swinging in the wrong direction, but we got to get this thing going. And once we do, we'll build some momentum. Yes, sir. All right, let's get into let's get some momentum here. We got uh, Joe Pfeiffer taking on Jack Hermanson in the main event. Pfeiffer is a minus two sixty favorite. Hermanson can be had for plus two twenty. Who you like, bud? Yeah, so again, this is a card that I don't love a whole lot of underdogs. By no means do I love Jack Hermanson, but I'm certainly tempted in a Hermanson bet. Joe Pfeiffer's got a great story, right? So similar to a Themba Garimbo, you're you're prone to like his story and the adversity that he's had to overcome and the bad spots that he's been in his life and he was homeless and, and all these opportunities. And Dana, Dana actually was the one that stepped up and bought Joe Pfeiffer the house, right? So... On the Contender Series, he breaks his arm against Dustin Stolfoots. It's 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 a tough setback, but it doesn't say anything about him. It's since then the great story and the Dana helping you out, and then the matchmakers have fallen in line with that. He's fought Ozzy Diaz in a second run in the Contender Series, Alan Amadovsky, Gerald Mearshart, who's good but has a lot of durability issues, and Abdul Razak Al Hassan. So they've matched him extremely slowly, and then yet going from match soft. To now headlining a fight in the UFC, a five-round fight, you know, it's troublesome. Troublesome as well is that he hasn't fought three rounds, let alone five rounds. So he, no doubt he can finish, guys, but he's finishing Gerald Mearshart. He's finishing Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. He's finishing guys of that nature. So as he moves up and fights better and better guys, those finishes don't necessarily materialize. And if they don't, can you fight the distance, right? So again, you haven't seen him fight the three-round distance and now we're putting him in a five. And not to mention, like, even the Abdul Razak Al-Hassan fight, sorry. It doesn't look like he's tired, but it doesn't certainly look like he's got pedal on the metal. He's not a volume puncher. He is getting a lot of finishes, sure, but the Dustin Stolfus fight goes four and a half minutes. He had landed 12 strikes. The Ozzy Diaz fight made it into the second round. He had landed 26 significant strikes. Alan Madovsky, quick finisher, four minutes, 14 strikes. Jeremir Shart, three and a half minutes, 14 strikes. And Abdul Razak Al-Hassan's last time out, you know, uh, seven minutes into the fight, and he had landed a career best, tied for his career best, with 26 significant strikes. So he's not a guy that's going to wow you with volume. Doesn't look like he's pushing necessarily a huge pace. 
I don't know. I don't know if I love this guy. It's the price tag. It's the minus 260 price tag when you don't know if his cardio holds up. You don't know if he can fight elite-level competition. You don't know any of that stuff. And yeah, his wrestling, sure, that's something he can fall back on against shitty guys. But how do you do when you move up? Now, Jack Hermanson, maybe he is getting a little bit old in the tooth, but here's a guy that's fought five rounds twice. He lost a split decision to Sean Strickland. And volume's not an issue for him, right? Um... You look at the Chris Curtis fight. He outlands Chris Curtis 100 to 43. He he kept pace with Sean Strickland, landing 137 significant strikes. Landed 122 against Marvin Vittori. Landed 148 significant strikes against Jacare Souza. Volume's not a problem for him. Cardio's not a problem for him. Going five rounds isn't a problem for him. He's fought leaps and bounds better guys. And you can say chin's a little bit of a concern for me, Cody. And I I fully understand chin's a concern, but Roman deletes top-ish guy. Uh, Jerry Cannon here, the man. And then before that, Tiago Santos, like a long time ago, where Tiago Santos was also the man at the time. So you're going to need some devastating power puncher to take this guy. Yeah, and Pfeiffer not saying he doesn't have power. He does. But he's only throwing, you know, 20, 30 significant strikes. Like, he's not necessarily going for it. So... Who has the wrestling advantage? The the career long wrestler guy that I think he started picking up. He picked up wrestling his senior year of high school. Did not wrestle in college. I'm not saying MMA wrestling, college wrestling, blah blah blah. Like I, I'm just saying, there's not a huge clear cut advantage for Piper in the wrestling department. The striking department sure he's got a little more power than him, but the volume certainly plays not in his favor. The five round nature of it doesn't play in his favor. The big time experience doesn't play out in his favor, but he's a minus 260 favorite. Like they're really feeding you this guy like he's the next coming and he would have to prove it before that. So yeah, if this is like an even money fight, maybe I'm, I'm willing to believe, but for minus 260, he's going to have to prove it first. And again, not, not a card that I love a lot of these underdogs, but you're going to have to pick some underdogs in some spots. And I feel like Jack Hermanson is uh, like two fights back. He's tripling up Chris Curtis and making him look foolish. And now we're suddenly worried Joe Pfeiffer just ices him? Maybe, maybe. But, you know, 260 just seems off to me. Yeah, it seems like a pretty clear dogger pass type of situation as far as I'm concerned as well. Um, we've just seen a lot more from Jack. We know that he can strike over the course of five rounds with lots of volume. Obviously, he's got very, very good grappling on top of that. Um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like... Pfeiffer, obviously Dana hooked him up and he had like a really horrible upbringing and, and was like homeless Fair. and all that type of stuff. I believe after his last fight, he like kind of like talked smack about the organization saying that he needed to get paid more. Kind of feels mm -hmm. like they're like, all right, well, if you want to get that bigger money, you aren't getting, you know, Abdul Razak Khalasan, who has massive gas issues. Gerald Mearshart, who's like kind of a one-dimensional grappler, let's be perfectly honest, and has some cardio issues as well and, and, and chin issues uh, against heavy, heavy hitters. You got to go into, you know, into the shark tank. And I'm not saying like Hermanson's uh, unbeatable or anything like that, but he's, he's a guy with multiple tools, multiple paths to victory, and a hell of a lot more experience than Joe Pfeiffer. So at plus 220, yeah, I think it's... Pretty clearly a dogger pass type of situation. Pfeiffer could knock him out in the first couple of rounds. If this thing gets deep, you're going to feel pretty good about your Manson pick. Or Pfeiffer just is going to be, is going to have, like, we're going to be like, okay, this guy's the real, real deal. Like, we're going to learn a lot about Joe Pfeiffer here. Um, or we won't. 
he'll get a first round knockout. We won't actually know like his actual full out ceiling. But if like if he comes out here and this fight goes into like third, fourth round or something, and he, and he's able to keep up that pace, keep up that power, okay, we've got we've got you know a potential title contender on our hands. But you gotta you gotta walk before you you can run, and um, to walk he's got to get through Jack uh, Jack Hermanson here. Uh, so yeah, it's Hermanson for both of us in the main event uh, as a as a dog pick. All right, moving on down, we've got Danny Gay taking on Andre Touchy Feely. Minus one sixty for Danny Gay, plus one forty for Feely. Who you got? Yeah, I'm gonna go with Danny Gay, but again, it's not like I love the money line specifically because this is gonna be a very close competitive fight. Likely goes to decision. If one guy's gonna knock the other guy out, it'd be Danny Gay knocking out. Uh, Andre Touchy Feely. Feely's been, you know, knocked out a few times. And Ige, you could take a brick to this guy's head, man. He can take one hell of a shot. But likely, it's going to be a relatively low output striking match. Both guys can wrestle, but the wrestling is not like at that elite level. So when they get matched up with these elite type wrestlers, they're the ones getting taken down. When they get matched up with soft guys, they might get some takedowns. But matched up with each other, there's no real clear distinct advantage here. Again, both guys are, are, are comfortable in the wrestling department. But where Ige has largely struggled is against these Bryce Mitchell types, against, you know, Korean Zombie, who was far and ahead a better wrestler than him at the time. Guys that can just consistently take him down because he's a small-ish guy for the weight class and lean on him. Feely, Feely's got like four or five inches of height and a three-inch reach advantage. Well, he'll be that longer, taller guy. That might affect Ige a little bit, but again, in terms of getting that high center of gravity low enough to take Ige down, I don't see it. Likewise for Ige, he's a good wrestler, but is he good enough to take down Andre Feely with a consistent rate? Maybe here and there, maybe to spice it up for the judge's decision, which is what I'm hoping he does, but I don't know that he consistently takes him down. And again, Feely, longtime member of Team Alpha Male in Sacramento, he'll be ready for that short, stocky wrestler and that type of game plan, but one... I don't know that it works out for Ige too. Ige's not that guy. He wants to bang. He wants to use his superior hand speed and some decent power, make it a fun fight, fight some of the best guys. This is a fun fight, but it's a fun fight at the end of the day. One guy outstrikes the other guy like 66, 62, and the rounds are relatively subjective. And you said, well, it could go this way and it could go that way. And then Ige ends up getting the close decision. So that's what I believe happens. With Feely, most of his fights go to decision. So you can see he's low volume in these 15-minute fights. Ige appears to also be low volume, but he's giving up plenty of takedowns in all of these fights. So, again, it's tough to say, oh, well, he's only landing 40 or 50 himself when he's on his back for seven minutes of the fight. I think in a fight with Feely that's largely going to play out 85 90% of the time on the feet, it'll allow him to start to land those combinations land that superior speed he's gonna have to time the jab he's gonna have to work his way around that leg kick but you know pressure forward and and, and maybe just put your will on feely a little bit close decision tight decision i'm chasing the prop of the fight goes to decision the over two and a half and if i got Ige, i want a better money line on Ige, so i probably take Ige by decision he could blow up by knocking him out but even in that scenario at least he wins not the end of the world if he was to lose and lose by knockout that would be devastating but i just don't if he does lose that's fair i can see that i just don't see him getting finished yeah, no, um, a lot to unpack there. We got, yeah, Ige, I'm not going to be surprised by an Ige knockout, to be perfectly honest. You think about that Joe Anderson-Brito fight, it's just like Andre Feely's been through a Killer. lot of wars. We've seen a whole bunch of, you know, tough spots that he's been. He's super, super experienced. He's not even all, all that old, but it's like we've watched this kid grow up, and he's very, very well-rounded. Um, I do think... 
going to be kind of like one of those fights where it's like maybe Feely, if it does go to decision like you're saying, that like maybe Feely gets a little bit more on the volume, but the more impactful uh, strikes, and we're in the apex, so it's small. The, the, you know, the judges can hear the impact a little bit better than they would in like a, a full sold-out crowd. Um, those will be obviously on the side of Ige. Knockdowns would probably be more likely coming from the Ige side. Um, Ige, yeah, durable chin just absolutely is, uh, you know, made of steel. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be stunned by a Dan Ige. I don't know if I would be chasing the prop there. Um, you know me, I like, I love like DeGen, long shot type of stuff. There is a plus one, plus 850 on Ige by KO round one. I mean, he's not getting a submission. It's like plus 650, uh, for him to win in round one. It's like, I'd probably even get like greedy and take the extra 200 points there to get KO one. I don't think it's, I don't know. They fought 10 times. I, I figure he at least does it once, which would make it bad value. He may do it twice, though. So it's probably, it's like a micro edge. I don't know if it happens, you know, two times out of 10. But uh, plus 850, I think it would be worth a little sprinkle. Uh, but yeah, Dan Ige on the money line is where I'm going here as well. He's kind of, yeah, it's like Dan Ige, we know how to beat him. It's just like, but Andre Feely does have half decent wrestling, but is he. The level of wrestler that has really neutralized and controlled Dan Ige, I'm not so sure about that. So, yeah, Ige for both of us. We've got uh, Robert Brichek taking on Ihor Poteria. Brichek a minus 200 favorite. Poteria a plus 170 underdog. I mean, this Brichek guy was coming out of Poland. Guy's super, super jacked, super, super strong. I will give him that. I watched a few of his fights. I'm not seeing, like, anything, like... I guess that's why he's only a minus 200 favorite against Ihor Pretoria, who's, you know, just a, a more or less a losing, machi- a, a losing machine in the UFC here. Um, I don't know. He doesn't look like anything crazy. Like, he's not... I don't see some sort of, like, watch out for this prospect moving forward type of guy. He's got a nice little run of finishes here. And then there was a fight like a couple years ago that he they went to decision. And, and that, the, the guy they lost to by decision really doesn't have like a great record or anything. Watched a little bit of that fight. I don't know. All in all, he's a guy I would really struggle to in his debut in the organization to be making a play at minus 200. I think it's dog or pass. Do I want to bet Ehor? No, not really. I mean, the only person that he really had any success against was the go or the debt or the the ghost of uh, Shogun Hua. Round one against Bellato, he he had some success as well. Like he's obviously pretty dangerous, and I feel like this fight just has so much volatility that if I was forced to make a pick, which I am for the purposes of the show, I'd be taking a shot on the dog Ehor here. What about you? Yeah, I'm actually in the same boat. Uh, taking the shot on Ehor, but it's just one of those guys that you love to fade. We always fade this guy. We can't wait to fade this guy. And now it, the proposition is taking him. And similar to Julius Storlia Renko last week, Storlia Stenko, we always fade her. And then finally it's like, oh, favorable matchup. So you take her and she just, you know, no, no good. Bottom line is no good. So are you 
Are you just asking for it by taking Ehor? Very likely, very likely. But let's talk ourselves into it. So yeah, for Robert Burchek, it's not exactly he's a prospect like you mentioned. He's 33 years old, now making his UC debut. He's a guy from Poland and yet never fought on KSW. Top organization in Poland, offer very nice contracts. And he was more so seen as like a lower level journeyman type guy with a not great record. So Octagon and May signs him because he's available. And yes, he's on a nice little win streak, but they've just been matching up real salty. I mean, he fought in a guy that was 11 and 12. Lee Chadwick, love Lee Chadwick. Lee Chadwick's 39 years old and rocking a 28 and 17 record. So you're fighting not guys that are necessarily the caliber of the top European guys. And now you're making a jump to taking on top international talent. It'd be a bit of a stretch. They initially booked him versus Jacob Malakun near the end of last year. And he would have gotten killed by Jacob Malakun, but he pulled out. Smart guy. Now they book him where Albert Durayev probably still loses to Durayev. Durayev pulls out, and Eeyore jumps in. Here's the interesting thing to me. So again, when we're looking at the red flags on this guy, one, supremely jacked, as you mentioned, Paul. And so, does like does he pass the USADA test? Is USADA still a thing? Does he have to take a drug test? Does he have to change his regimen? I don't know. But certainly leaving the confines of Europe to come over to the Apex on Super Bowl weekend with all this noise and all this chaos, I think it would affect a guy. He's so heavily built. His last fights are 58-second win, 241, 125, 157, and 17 seconds. All of them by first-round finish in under three minutes. So like with that muscle, can he even keep this going? Is it genetically? Is he that big? Or is it enhanced? And to that point, I think enhanced. When he was just that journeyman guy in Poland, he fought at 170 pounds. His last knockout loss to this Kike Brito was at 170 pounds, and it was just less than three years ago. Since then, he moves up to 185, and he gets massive dogged up, fighting low-ish level guys on the European regional scene, beating them, just you know, smashing them. I'm not saying can smashing, but smashing these guys in quick fashion. And now you're jumping into the UFC. It's a bit of a tough one. The other thing is we love to shit on Ehor. We absolutely love to shit on Ehor. But his losses are to Rodolfo Vieira, or Rodolfo Bellotto, Carlos Ulbrich, and Nikolai Negamariano. All not bad guys. More importantly than that, all those guys are at 205 pounds. Eeyore has largely been fighting guys that are 205ers. And against Rodolfo Vieira, uh, Rodolfo Bellotto, sorry, he's a sizable underdog. Goes into this fight. Everybody and their mother has Bellotto, myself included. He's the top ticket play. And he damn near knocks him out. He knocks him down. He puts a beating on him. He lands like 80 significant strikes in a round and a half. And then we knew that his ground game suspect and Bellotto would have that big ground game advantage. And as soon as Bellotto got that first takedown, well, it was all downhill for him. But again, at 205 pounds. So it's crazy to me that Eeyore just took that beating. And now for the first time in his career, on short notice, he's taking this fight on like two, three weeks. Because he can pack a punch. The little success that he does have when he competes is the guy can absolutely hit. It's that if you take it and you return fire, he can't take the damage coming back at him. At 185, he's going to have even more power and has a better chance of maybe taking some of that return fire. You know that his cardio is not good, but I believe you've seen him fight into second rounds, whereas Burchek, again, like, Eeyore's also only 27 years old. Now at his natural weight class, with five fights in the UFC, against mostly a good level of competition, taking on this... 33-year-old debuting guy doesn't look like, you know, he's a natural and has largely fought salty competition. So, like, yeah, like, those are just, they're not they're not the kind of spots. If, if we're trying to, like, be smart and be safe and, like, pick and choose and this and that, it's like, it just those are the spots that you're going to get burnt in the ass more times than not, right? Taking a guy just, like, because he looks good in a picture and uh, the record looks pretty good and the six first-round finishes, like, I get it looks good. 
But is it enough to get behind this guy with any modicum of confidence? To me, no, it isn't. So is it enough to bet Eeyore with any modicum of confidence? Yeah, I, I guess. I guess. It's dogger pass. This is a clear-cut dogger pass situation. If the dude would have scored as a 4-1 to underdog in his last fight against Bellotto, and he was injured away from doing it, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. But those are the bounces of MMA. He didn't get it. And now hopefully he is being undervalued and can cash a plus-money ticket uh, his second go-around be- because people will see the result on paper but don't necessarily see how competitive it was. Bellotto, I think, is better than Burchek. Maybe, maybe not, right? But I think Eeyore in his natural weight class, 20 pounds down, could surprise a lot of people. All right, moving on down. We've got Gregory Rodriguez taking on Brad Tavares. <clears throat> Rodriguez is a minus 240 favorite. Tavares can be half for plus 200. <clears throat> I feel like a couple years ago, maybe this would be a little bit more of an interesting fight. But Brad Tavares, you know, used to be, you know, that, that chin was just so good and the technicality like he slows down the pace of the fight sometimes he makes them a little bit ugly of course but you know he's a guy that doesn't really have all that much power um can fight a good technical fight he's obviously super super experienced but he had a he had a chin that would allow him to hang out in in lots of spots outside of i guess like tim boach but it's like i guess robert whitaker knocked him out as well uh, but yeah, going the full distance against Izzy and, and so on and so forth. Like he's been in there with like a lot of really good fighters. Uh, the only thing I really worry about with Gregory Rodriguez is that chin. Like he was knocked out on Contender Series, knocked out against Bruno Ferreira. Um, but Brad Tavares doesn't really bring that to the party. So uh, I, I don't have any doubt in my mind that I suppose if it's a 15-minute fight, and it's just like ticky-tacky types of strikes between the two of them for 15 minutes. The Brad Tavares could pull off the upset here, but even in a win against, you know, Chris Weidman last time out, like, he didn't really press. He didn't really impress. Um, I like RoboCop, but minus 240, I don't, yeah, I don't love the price by any stretch of the imagination, but I think he gets the dub here. It's kind of a tailor-made match of somebody who doesn't really have the power to put his lights out and I think skill for skill and probably size will be a big uh big disparity here Gregory Rodriguez is absolutely enormous for 185 pounds so G-Rod's the pick for me what about you yeah I'm gonna have to agree as well Brad Tavares is very serviceable like you said but uh, he's he's a gatekeeper. He's a gatekeeper, not a top 15 guy, but a like top 20-ish guy willing to fight whoever and give them rounds. And like you said, lots of durability, but he's a round guy. He doesn't pose a whole lot of issues for guys, right? He doesn't have that big knockout power. His last fight against Chris Weidman, he's got Weidman hobbling and bobbling on one leg mm-hmm. from the first round onwards, right? And like, yeah, you can call it respect or you can call it Brad Tavares doesn't got no hop in his hands, baby. Last time he knocked out a guy was Christoph Jocko. It was five years ago, right? And it was in the third round, and there's only like two, three minutes left. Third round knockout of Chris Jocko. Prior to that, you'd have to go all the way back to 2011 when he knocked out Phil Baroni, my boy. Currently in a Mexican prison for murder. My, my boy. That's a long stretch, man. Two knockouts in that period are not great. As you mentioned, he generally is very durable. Oh, Robert Whitaker knocked him out. Big deal. Like, he fights some of the best guys. He was competitive enough against Israel Adesanya once upon a time. 
We like what he does, but he doesn't have a, a ground. I wouldn't say he wouldn't have a ground game. He's not offensively looking to wrestle. He's not looking to take you down. He's not looking to establish top control. He's not looking to land ground and pound. That's not Brad Tavares. His takedown defense, dude, he spent a lot of time in Las Vegas. He can stuff a takedown. Would I say he's a solid wrestler? No. But I saw he's got solid takedown defense. Also, not really. But yeah, historically, I think he's rocking a 82% takedown defense, and that's 20-plus fights in the UFC. He's not a bad wrestler. Is that he uses that wrestling to keep the fight standing and then tit for tat, tit for tat. As we start going towards a damage-based system, he's not landing a ton of damage. As we start to go towards those big shots and who gets rocked, again, he's not really rocking his opponents or landing those big shots. He's just landing clean, precise, technical kickboxing without that real big wow factor. Now, if you were going to do that, it's fine. You got to bring up that volume. The volume against just not there. Against a one-legged wide man, he puts up 70, and that's considered good by his standards. Uh, outside of that, for the most part, it's been fairly lower. When I, look like, when I look at Gregory Rodriguez, his only real issue is that he's got porous striking defense. He doesn't move his head. It's on the center line. It's way up in the air. A refined kickboxer like Brad Tavares 100% could give him trouble. But as you alluded to, Paul, if he doesn't have that power to really get Rodriguez's respect, then you're going to have Robocop constantly moving forward, constantly landing a few more shots, a few more leg kicks, pressing you into the cage. If you can't keep him off of you, it looks better visually to the judges. Now, I could complain all day about how I think these fights are closer than maybe the money line would suggest, but complaining just is not going to get us anywhere. We're going to have to bite the bullet in some spots and just go ahead and pick the guy. And so with Rodriguez, a guy that's on his way up, is doing some good work. Solid ground game, BJJ Black Belt. Wrestling is not great, but as you talked about, Paul, he's so big for this weight class that he just dragged you to the ground. And I can see that being a factor here against Brad, or I could see him just using that jab, using a little bit of speed, using a little more volume, and just picking up a 29-28 or 30-27 clear-cut unanimous decision. So uh, I know people want violence, and people want those props, and people want Robocop by submission because it pays some crazy amount, but... Brad's serviceable. It's what he is. Mm -hmm. He's good at what he does. He's 38 years old now, still fighting at a high level in the UFC because he's somewhat risk avert. But yeah, it's just, you're, there's not going to be a whole lot of winnable matchups to come by. This is winnable, sure, yeah, but it, it's not going to get any easier from here on out for him. He's there to give guys rounds. Rodriguez needs rounds without getting knocked out himself or taking too much damage. It's a good fight for him. Is it a good fight for Brad? It's not a bad fight for Brad, but he's going to have to mind his P's and Q's and at 38, he needs to up the volume, and I just don't know that I see it from him. Yep. All makes sense to me. All right, moving on down. We've got Michael Johnson taking on Darius Flowers. Minus 140 for Michael Johnson, plus 120 for Darius Flowers. Now, I know Darius Flowers, Cody, is from Iowa. What I need you to fill in here is I know in on Contender Series, he had the slam win. Um, so, obviously, maybe he can wrestle a little bit, but it's like – is he going is he going to go in there and fight like he did against Jake Matthews where it was just obviously he was fighting a weight class up he's coming back down to his natural weight class of 155 pounds here but is he going to fight like a striker in that matchup or in this matchup against Michael Johnson cuz Michael Johnson can do that his chin maybe is a little bit questionable but the the matchups that really cause him problems is when somebody is able to stick to him Take him down at will over and over and over. I'll wait for your explanation, but I'm leaning towards Michael Johnson here. Unless, like, you tell me that, like, you know, Flowers is going to wrestle him, he's going to take him down, he's going to control him. Because I didn't really see it 
um, outside of a slam on contender series. And that's just MMA being MMA. I didn't see somebody that can like, you know, win a sustained fight playing that type of style. So um, tentatively my pick right now, unless you change my mind is Michael Johnson. And I, I basically never bet this guy. So I don't know if I'm going to bet him this week. What's, what's your take here? Yeah, Johnson's a guy that seems to have the superior skill set in pretty much every aspect of the game, but it, you it goes back to like what's the durability like and he's a little bit older and he's a little bit slower and he never took a great punch to begin with and now it's probably not going to be great. And Flowers honestly I'm about to shit on him in a minute, but to his credit, man, he's got eight first round finishes, seven of them by knockout and then one's a slam. He's had guys quit in the first round, he's had the corner quit for them in the first round and he's flat out knocked the guy out in the first round. So he's not a wrestler, like you said, from Iowa. Everybody from Iowa knows how to wrestle and is pretty good at it. But he's a boxer, 100%. Not only is he a boxer, he just likes to fight. He's a tough, scrappy, I like to fight kind of guy. He had 16 amateur MMA fights. I don't know why, but 16 amateur MMA fights. Then switched to pro boxing, had 11 pro boxing matches. Thing is, Paul, he's 1-10 in 10 as a pro boxer um, with t- seven knockout losses. His one win is by also by knockout, but that's who he is. He just takes whatever fights. When you look at his losses as an amateur, Seth Bass, first round triangle, Cassidy Beatley, 51 seconds. Uh, oh, I guess it was the fifth round. Ivy Nixon, guillotine choke. Those are three consecutive losses, all by submission. As a pro, Devin Smith, first round rear naked choke. Jordan Larson was a third round arm bar. Bobby Volker was 39 at the time. You'll remember Bobby Volker, strike force guy back in the day. He fought in the UFC as well, but like 40 years old, shot to bits. He knocked out Flowers. Joe Vettipo with a key lock. A key lock, Paul. What? Also knows the Americana. When was the last time you've seen that in like a good fight? Like a high-level fight? Who, who's who's latching on to key locks or Americanas in, in the year 2020 and beyond? Unbelievable. Then he goes back to boxing. Then he loses those matches. So he comes back against Ryan Ledinger. That's a guillotine choke. That's only two years ago. And then he, boom, he hits magic. He's fighting lower-level guys on the regional scene. He scraps them up. He gets a contender series shot because they need some guy last minute to throw in against this Georgian guy who's supposed to be good. And as a plus 240 underdog, he won. And then they rebooked him right away against Jake Matthews. And he's coincidentally also a plus 240 underdog. And he loses. Like, he he captured Magic in a bottle. He can box. He can maybe land that shot on Michael Johnson. But beyond that, we're talking about the same Michael Johnson that's fought all the best guys. The same Michael Johnson that's got knockout win over Dustin Poirier. You know, a guy that, that absolutely beat pillar to post solid guys and now he's a little bit older and yeah he's not operating at the same level but it's a one in ten boxer i feel like he's going to be in his wheelhouse and that flowers wants to strike first second of all the guys that take down for the uh, maybe stevie ray would be not considered a great wrestler but michael johnson's fought in good guys his whole career so you can say bad takedown defense against Clay Guida. You can say bad takedown defense against, you know, Khabib Nurmagomedov. You can say bad takedown defense against legitimately good guys. Flowers, even if he could wrestle a little bit, not to the level. Like, Johnson's takedown defense, we'll, we'll, we'll check out there. Johnson actually wrestled in junior college, right? Remember when he's on The Ultimate Fighter? He was a wrestler. He can't wrestle at a high level, but he can wrestle at a low level, and that's all this is. And so now we're going to get a striking battle where Johnson's going to throw more, more volume, a lot more output. He moves his feet a lot more. He's got more than enough power to knock out Flowers. He's been knocked out a couple times in MMA, seven times in pro boxing. But that being said, Flowers has enough knockout power to knock out Michael Johnson. It's the fight game. It's punchy-kicky. They're exchanging shots. 
Flowers doesn't have a pretty boxing record and has this long MMA record and this long amateur record. The guy's got like 40 fights under his belt and he's still young. He's going to be a problem because he knows how to fight. Is he super talented and skilled? No, but he knows how to fight. Johnson's also had tons of gym wars, tons of knockout losses, tons of fights in the UFC, tons of beatings against the best guys in the game. So his durability is like his only question mark. And that's Flowers is really like his only thing is his power versus suspect durability versus Johnson. So what the bookmakers should have done is just fed you Johnson at like minus 190, minus 210, because people still would have bet it. And then the probability game will, will get you right right in the gonads. But this is like a 50-50 fight here. So yeah, yeah, I like Johnson. I like Johnson to get a job done. You'll be puckered up the entire time. You'll be sweating one out. I can't get I can't go against him. Yeah, no, I I kind of I'm on kind of the same page. Um, I mean, I faded him against uh, British wrestler Gia Casey. I obviously I had like you know flashback. Or, you know, I wiped him from my brain from uh, from just like screaming at my TV um, so much so many times when Gia Casey literally didn't try to wrestle against him, but he showed a lot in that fight. He's like, I guess like the the few takedown attempts that did come his way he did a great job of stuffing them and yeah he's you know his record isn't impressive by any stretch of the imagination but he's fought the who's who in this division or in this division and down at 145 for many many years now Um, he's very very experienced and I really don't haven't seen enough from Darius Flowers to lead me to believe that he's going to win a striking affair against Michael Johnson. He could totally land an absolute bomb, knock him on the first round. We've seen it happen to Michael Johnson, but yeah, at the current prices on the market, I think Michael Johnson, I, 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 I love, or I like the, uh, you know, the confirmation bias, I suppose that you provided me there. I will mm-hmm. stick with my pick moving on down. We've got uh, Rodolfo Vieira taking on Armin Petrosian. Vieira is a minus 120 favorite. Petrosian can be had for plus 100. These guys were supposed to fight back in November. Um, Both of them made weight. And everyone leading up to the thing, uh, up to the fight, was saying that, like, hey, um, you know, make sure you watch Rodolfo. Make sure you watch Rodolfo on the scales. He's going to be sick. He made weight. He did what he was supposed to do, and Petrosian was the one who ends up getting sick. I believe we were split on this program um, on this fight, and I'm going to stick with Rodolfo here. Um, I think I've seen... If it's just a stand-up fight, of course, it's it's going to lean. It's going to lean towards Armin Petrosian. He's definitely better at that. Uh, Rodolfo doesn't have the greatest takedowns, but if he does get the fight to the mat... Um, obviously he's super dangerous down there and we've seen enough from him that like, he does look like he gasses a lot of times, but it's like, he's shown that he can go 15 minutes, even if it like, doesn't look pretty, still throw those hands, get some half decent volume up. I think like, you know, from a numbers perspective, like it's probably a pick em. like it is a close, close fight, but, uh, I'll, I'll side with the fact that. If Rodolfo does get this fight to the mat uh, and does it early when they're both dry, he does have like an absolute uh, show closer. So Rodolfo for me, I'm guessing Armin for you. 
Yeah, Armin all day. And to be honest with you, when they got booked the last time, I loved it. I loved the line, which I think I had plus 125 at the time. Like, Petrosian was a slight underdog. Now it's pretty much even money. So it is what it is. But I loved it. And then they announced. Like, they announced it during the card. They're like, the fight's off. And I was like, oh, Rodolfo did what? No heat. And then they're like, Petrosian's like massively ill. And they speculated that it was like anxiety related, perhaps, which I don't see because he's fought in so many badass dudes and is a badass dude. Like, I, I can't see anxiety getting in the way. But yeah, I don't know. It's happened to guys like Tom Breeze before. And they're, they're all fighters. It's just maybe it gets you or maybe it's the illness from a bad wake up. But none of that bodes well. Now I'm like, man, I'm, I'm glad they scratched it because had he gone out there, he probably loses if he's sick. If he's not feeling well, too ill to fight, too ill to go out there and compete against a world uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu champion. So I don't know. Now they rebook it. Not super long after, but again, it's like, what was the illness? Was it anxiety? That doesn't do good for a Petrosian pick. Was it a bad weight cut? Well, now you got to do the weight cut all over again two months later. Like, again, also doesn't really bode well for Petrosian. And the line's not as good. So kind of a bummer, but I'm going to pick him. I'm going to pick him for sure. Listen, Rodolfo Vieira has got a really pretty jiu-jitsu resume, right? He's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt of the highest level, and he's won all these competitions, and he's a badass. Yeah, but, I mean, he's a lot older. He's slow to the learning curve to come over to MMA, and all he's got is that Brazilian jiu-jitsu. His striking, yeah, it's gotten better, but it's not good. It's not even serviceable. It's not enough to go out there and win a 15-minute striking battle against pretty much anybody in the division. So, yeah, it's good enough to couple shots here and there set up a takedown but then you actually have to have wrestling which he doesn't he'd be rocking a 25 percent takedown accuracy in the ufc he struggles he went like i think zero for 21 against action man chris curtis and chris curtis is a badass he's, he's got great wall. takedown defense yeah yeah but he's a 170 pound brick wall paul he fights at middleweight because he just doesn't feel like cutting but he's not a large man rodolfo cuts a ton of weight he is a large man and yet, the desperate single legs, the he caught Curtis with some clean shots because Curtis had his hands low waiting for the for the wrestling. I'll give him that. But it was just desperation. Like, he didn't want to keep throwing hands. He'd need to cling on to him and peel him to the ground. 20 takedown attempts. When have you seen that? And I didn't like, get them. Didn't get any of them. I like that he stuck to trying a game plan. That's like, fair. I'm That's not going to beat this guy at boxing. I should try to you know, wrestle, 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 that is going to be my, my best path to victory. As, you know, as, as someone who's picked Rodolfo Vieira, he knows what he's good at, and he's like, I'm going to lose a, a, a striking affair against Chris Curtis. He's self-aware. I like that. that. No, no, you're absolutely right. And now he goes into a fight with Cody Brunridge, who's got one weapon, which is the right hand, and a, some low-ish level called wrestling. And he goes one for seven on takedowns attempts against Cody Brunridge, failed to hold him down, had his position and couldn't do anything with it, got knocked down. Dude is doing the stanky leg and has to rely on Brunridge being an absolute idiot with zero ring IQ and pulling guard on a guillotine. Actually, I'm happy because I think we all had Rodolfo and that one bailed us out. But like, good God, man. You squeaked by Cody Brunridge? Relying on him making a critical mistake for you to get on top and submit him? Bad luck. The fight with Chris Curtis? Yeah, sure, that's just another bad look. His fight with Dustin Stolfus? He's down two rounds in the third before he got the submission, getting outstruck 67 to 49. So not a great look. His fight before that against Anthony Hernandez, we all remember it. The biggest gas job in the history. Uh, Hernandez is so OG. Or not OG. He's so He's legit. He's legit. I'll give him that. He's a stud. But still, like, Rodolfo had all of his positions. 
against Stolfus, took him to the third round. Against Oscar Pachota in his debut, had to take him to the second round. Uh, against Pachota, he had three takedowns. Saperbeck Safarov, not just one, the two takedowns. Against Anthony Hernandez, four takedowns. Against Stolfus, three takedowns. You know what that means, Paul? That means he gets on top of these guys in almost all of these fights. And yet he needs to get it two, three, four times to eventually submit them. So literally the only thing that he's like an ace in, which is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, it's not like, dude, if you're on the mat with two minutes with this guy, you're done. Like, no, these guys are these guys are hanging on the ground with him for five, six, seven minutes at a time. Hernandez choked him out on no other reason than he just gassed himself out. Yeah, he's getting better, but to what level? To what leaps and bounds? So we've shit on him. Let's shit on Petrosian a little bit. But Petrosian's issue, yes, is his takedown defense. But we talked about Gregory Rodriguez earlier. Not the same level as Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, but a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. And he was on Petrosian's back two, three minutes. Petrosian's got a broken nose. This guy's fishing for rear naked chokes. And once he do, he scrambles. All these fights, they have to take him down multiple times because he continuously makes them work. And when he gets back up, he's hell on wheels. Volume, volume, volume. Nasty with the leg kicks. Once your once your lead leg's gone, once your calf seizes up, then do you think Rodolfo's going to start completing those takedowns? No. He's going to keep getting tired. He's going to get more desperate. He's going to get TKO'd in the third round or lose a decision. And last but not least, Rodolfo's cardio is shit. It really is. Whereas Petrosian, all of these fights, they go generally 15 minutes for him. And he is just throwing bombs man he maybe lost the first round against aj dobson ends up landing 118 overall landed 127 against gregory rodriguez despite also dropping around kale barra has a wet blanket he'll do that to you christian leroy duncan guy was supposed to be some awesome undefeated striking sensation out of the uk and he absolutely demobilizes them so striking's leaps and bounds better than rodolfo Cardio's leaps and bounds better than Rodolfo. His durability's leaps and bounds better than Rodolfo. His heart is leaps and bounds better than Rodolfo. Literally, the only thing is, yeah, he gives up takedowns, and Rodolfo is is the master of jiu-jitsu, so he'll probably get on top a few spots. It's if he survives those few spots, if he gets back up a few times, if he can hear the end of that first round, this thing's gonna trend towards my boy. So I got him pre-fight flop, but I'll probably also bet him if he lasts the first round. But like, let's say he gets taken down and control in the first, loses the first, doesn't get submitted, and I can get a good plus money going into that second or third. He's not going to quit on me. I'd rather bet these guys that I'm going to fight for my dollar than these Darius Flowers. He's got one round in him kind of guys, you know? So yeah, yeah, I got to I gotta go with Armin Petrosian. Just, just like, don't get sick and don't have a bad weight cut. Don't be scared, because it sounds like maybe he was potentially your, scared. Don't forget, don't forget your Xanax. Or just talk to Marabueno Silva. She'll hook you up with something to just yeah. keep her even keel. But don't and, ask and then, for yeah, her because like she doesn't have the stuff that gets like that. Is it Matt? Like <laughs> it passes the test? Yeah, the, it doesn't pass the test. Yeah. Somebody, somebody else probably has the better stuff that doesn't actually get flagged by Usada. Sure. I mean, is it, like when, people... when does Usada end? Because that's coming, right? I think it might be. I thought it ended at the end of the year. Like still December, handing out those like so. stupid jackets and stuff. Oh, are they? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I really, I really couldn't tell you. I'm sure that the UFC will always have some degree of of testing, but the testing doesn't matter. Like Bert Check earlier on the card, we talked about him. Who cares if he can or cannot pass a drug test? No bookie has ever come back for a for a, a no contest three months down the road. Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. So like as the better. You almost want the guy to be cooked up to the sauce. Mm -hmm. uh, but all jokes aside, 
Yeah, yeah. Rodolfo Vieira is past all the drug tests that have been faced in front of him. He's been accused since his jiu-jitsu days through his MMA days. He's passed all the tests. He's out of a gym that's notorious for being a juice gym, and it's still passed all of his tests. I'm sure the guy's good to go. But again, if it was, oh, damn, Rodolfo Vieira was some super sweet, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu prospect and he transitions over and he learns all these other skills and it's like okay great but yeah man he's 34 35 years old and he's at fusion xl right so who's getting him ready phil rowe jacare souza alex nicholson does mike perry still hang out there like just not not the guys that are gonna get to get him ready for a premier mixed martial arts contest and Armin Petrosian tends to slip under the radar to a lot of people it's not that like that sexy fighter on the roster but like i really like this guy and of course, he's Armenian, so you're going to have to kill him. And those are the kind of guys I want to bet on, right? They're, they're going to not just call it a day and say, oh, well, I'm, this fight's not going my way. Like, show some resolve. Show some resolution. You know what Pat I would say? Show some effing gumption. So let's go with that. I, I, I got him to get the job done. Yeah. Um, yeah, speaking of, like, drugs, drugs and sports, you see on, like, uh, on the X machine, the other day that like Peter Thiel, some billionaire is like backing the steroid Olympics. Love that. I'm in, I will watch that. He's like, Oh, well, they're like, and like their little advertisement is like, I'm the fastest guy in the world. And you've never heard of me. It's just like, cause I would never pass a test. That's a, yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I always, I'm totally, I, 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 I will watch. I will watch yeah. that. Hundred percent. I don't want to. I don't want to see like an average Joe against an Olympian because they always talk about that. Like just to show you the difference, I'd like to see this guy the world record holder for the you know four hundred uh, meter dash, let's say. And this guy, it would have to be like a fringe top ten guy. He couldn't be a top five guy on Juice. It would have to be like this is the number twelfth ranked guy. Yeah. And 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 he is allowed to just take whatever he wants. Yeah, I'd like to see. Like, does it close up that much of a gap? Because. All my MMA fighter friends, all the guys I've worked with, all the guys I've talked to, they're, they're very adamant that like steroids is too, it's too much of a competitive edge because mm. they roll with guys in the gym that are flat out no good, that are currently on a cycle. And it's just like, Cody, it's, it, they're, they're not the same guy. It's not the same guy. Trouble with the UFC is because of all the strain and testing is it's like it's hard to cycle on and off because it's, it's random testing. It's hard to peak your body on and off because you don't know when someone's knocking on your door for a piss sample. So they're generally coming in here a little banged up, a little sore, a little tired. And if that's the case, give me the Armenian guy who's not going to quit. Maybe sore, maybe he's banged up, maybe he's tired, Paul, but he'll fight for it. Uh, I get his last fight. He didn't fight for it because he was too ill, but I'm hoping that was the doctor's decision because you got to save a guy like that from himself. So uh, yeah, I would have liked to have got the plus money I had on him last time, but I'll, I'll take the even money he's offering up now. Yeah, we got Carlos Pratas taking on Trevin Giles. Pratas is a minus 260 favorite. Giles can be had for plus 220. Who you got? Yeah, so these are one of these spots where it's like you can see Pratas being your apple pie shitter. I mean, like there's a lot of, I wouldn't say inconsistencies with them as much as like there's a lot of unknowns. Clearly the guy's a banger, 30 years old, Brazilian, and he absolutely wallops. He used to fight for one Warrior Series a little bit over in Southeast Asia and had fought some decent guys. His grappling is okay. His wrestling's okay, but it's mostly he puts hands on you. You're going to have an absolute problem. He came on the Contender Series against Mitch Ramirez. Again, solid performance. Um, You see a lot of these Brazilian fighters that have been coming in recently 
they're not necessarily the jiu-jitsu guys that Brazilians were known to be in the past. A lot of them got Brazilian Muay Thai, and they're coming in, guns a-blazing. He's got a little submission game in his back pocket. He's got some wrestling based on his strength and physicality, but for the most part, you know where this guy wants to take the fight to take place. Trevin Giles, meanwhile, he's got the skills to beat him. Like, in theory, he's got the experience. In theory, he could fight a few rounds, and you're not going to totally worry about him. Um... But he's always been undersized. He's always been lethargic. And he's a guy that, to me, has just never really cared about it. Like, you'll remember back when he used to be a Texas area cop and he was balancing a career as a, as a cop. He still might be, actually, but he's balancing a career as a cop and a pro fighter. So he's one foot in, one foot out, never fully committed himself, was a badass on the LFA scene, on the, on the legacy scene before jumping over to the UFC. But since then, it's been massively mixed results. Now, yeah, at his best, dude's got to win over Roman Deletes in an absolutely awful fight. But he does. He's fought in Dreykus Duplacis. He fought Michael Morales, Gabriel Bombfeam. He has that grappling match with Mike Malott. Like, there's a lot of experience there. But it's the wins. The win over Lewis Koski by decision. Mm-hmm. Awful fight. And then his fight with Preston Parsons, which is his last win. Again, split decision over a guy with no experience. And no, all these things that we're trying to give him, he might have a grappling advantage. Oh, he's got some experience advantage. Oh, he's, you know, he's got some decent technical boxing. Like, it's just off the table. He goes in there. He looks lethargic. He just walks through the motions, never quite really gets out of first gear. And one has to wonder if the UFC gave him his walking papers, he'd be one of those guys that retires a UFC veteran. He, he would not go and fight for another promotion. He would not try to go back to the regional scene. He doesn't wake up in the morning and crave a fight. It's, this is his job. And he's going out there and he's looking like he's going through the motions of a job. And the UFC is in results saying take on these unheralded Brazilian guys that just want it way more. Yeah, he's making his debut, but he's got the firepower to hurt Giles and really put him off. Giles might be able to tie him up a little bit. He might be able to slow this thing down. He might be able to lean on him, use some of that savvy veteranship, maybe try to take him down. But again, watching the Preston Parsons fight and the Lewis Koski fight, it's just like he's not getting out of first gear. And now as he gets older... Uh, he's still only 31, I guess, but there's just no improvements over the last four or five fights. He still is getting a little older. He still does have that second career at the back of his mind. I don't, I don't know that I really want to run to the ticket window to have Giles as my guy. So is the apple pie shit potential there? Yeah, I, I can see it. But you got to also like the guy you're looking to fade with. I'm looking to fade Rodolfo Vieira because I don't think he's very good. But I also like Arun Petrosian. So the fight makes sense for me on a betting standpoint. This is a fight where it's like, I might be interested in fading Praetis, but Giles is not the guy to go ahead and do so with. So as a result, Praetis is not super high, I guess, on my parlays or my my list of confidence. But yes, he I, I think he does win the fight. I think he's going to stand in the pocket. I think he's going to touch Giles up. Giles also doesn't really have the cardio. Uh, not that he doesn't have the cardio. He doesn't have the volume, right? If he throws volume, he will get tired. If he doesn't throw volume, he can pace himself out, and he just falls behind on the scorecard. So... I just can't get behind him, man. I can't get behind him. Keep in mind, remember he fought James Krause, a lightweight, who took the fight on 24 hours notice and probably bet against himself, and he still squeaked by a split decision. Like, he's not reliable. He's not trustworthy. He's made no improvements since that fight. Can't do it, man. Can't do it. He he could definitely, like, the problem with Giles is, yeah, you just don't really know what he's going to do, like, what his game plan is going to be coming into most fights. The volume's never really been great. Um, what the be- the best volume he ever had was against James Krause, that exact fight that you're talking about. James Krause on 24 hours notice. 
Uh, he put up, up seven, 71 significant strikes. I mean, most of his fights go to decision, or a lot of his fights at least, when he's not fighting, you know, guys that are way better than him in the, you know, the Drickus, the Michael Morales, the Gabriel Bomb themes of the world. Um, most of his fights go to decision, and we're looking at like 27 significant strikes. I think what he's going to struggle with the most here, from what I saw from Carlos Pratis on Contender Series, is guy's super, super long and uses every little bit of that of that reach, uh, has nice technical striking. Um, Giles is going to struggle with that. If Giles puts on like the wrestling strap and makes this a really ugly fight, I think he's very, very live. Pratos is going to be the pick for me, but minus 260 UFC debut versus a veteran. I mean, there's 14 fights on the card. I'm not going to be forcing any action on Carlos Pratos myself, but he will be my pick. We got Bolaki or Bolaji Oki taking on Timothy Kuamba. Oki, a minus 225 favorite. Kuamba can be had for plus 190. Um, Demir Hadzovic was supposed to take on Bolaji Oki and, um, Hadzovic, you know, pulled out. I mean, Hadzovic's in a tough spot. He's kind of like, he realizes that's like, all right, I'm excited. And that's the only reason I still have a job. He's just like, but he needs a win. He needs somebody who doesn't have a chin. I, I'm not saying that he dropped out of this because he's like, this guy looks like he's like an absolute warrior, but I mean, he was already like a, you know, uh, Hadzovic was a bigger underdog than Coamba. Coamba was on Contender Series, had a really, really boring fight. But, you know, a lot of times you're like, oh, well, they're just calling this guy in off the couch. It's like, he had a knockout finish literally last week. So he's in shape. He's, t- he's jumping up a weight class for this matchup. So he's going to be giving up a little bit of size. Um, I'm not entirely sure what to do with this one, Cody. Uh, I would be tempted, you know, just to take the favorite, take Oki because of size and preparation for this fight. But it's like, Coamba is not coming off the couch. Like He literally had a fight last week, obviously at a training camp. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll side with size here, but we'll see where the number goes uh, over the course of the week. Um, and, yeah, uh, no plans to bet it yet, but uh, what's your take here? Yeah, I mean, so it's, it's a late replacement. To be honest with you, Oki was the pick of the week against Demir Hadzivik simply because, yeah, what what does Demir Hadzivik do? <laughs> he stands in front of you, and he throws down. And in order to throw down, just like the game is passing him by, Oki's one of these guys that can take a better punch, is bigger, faster, stronger than him, probably lands first, probably puts Hadzivik away. And if for whatever reason it was like, damn, I'm just going to take the path of least resistance. He's strong and he can wrestle a little bit. So I don't doubt that he would have done to Hadzivik what everybody else does to Hadzivik had he wanted to and taken him down as well. So I really like that fight as a debut for Oki. Moving on to Kwamba. It's not that I don't like the fight. It's just, yeah, there's just a lot of variables. Kwamba's from Las Vegas, trains down in Vegas full time. So not only did he just fight, as Paul alluded to, eight days ago between fights, he fought in Las Vegas eight days ago, lives in Las Vegas, trains in Las Vegas, and is on the short list of replacements. So he's moving up a weight class. Obviously, he's not going to cut weight back to back. But yeah, he just he's he's here not because of the spectacular knockout last weekend. It was a nice one. Was He's not here because of that spectacular knockout. He's here because he was the local guy with his hand up ready to go and Oki's not exactly an easy matchup the tough thing about Oki is when you look at him on paper and when you watch the tape he fights such a weird variety of guys like a C Silva's 0 and 0 the very next guy is 13 and 0 god damn 0 and 0 to 13 and 0 the very next guy's 8 and 13 
When he fought Dylan Salvador on the Contender Series, I'll fully admit, I took Dylan Salvador. I know Dylan Salvador. I'm very familiar with him. I like him. He's got excellent high-level Muay Thai. This guy can absolutely scrap. High-end experience, fought in good guys. Striking's not an issue for Dylan Salvador. Oki made him look foolish. Oki made him look foolish, similar in the ways that we were talking about a couple weeks ago with like Marcus McGee versus Gaston Bolanos. One guy's legitimately a really good striker. The other guy, you don't know much about him. He floats weird. His rhythm's different. His timing's different. But he packs a wallop of power, and that's Oki. The Nair Melkian fight, it was 13-0. It's two years ago now. It didn't look great, don't get me wrong, but the fight went the distance. So he's going to be one of these guys that can absolutely take your head off in the first round, you know, first round and a half. Eventually, he'll have to slow down. Eventually, have to pace himself a little bit. But again, as I mentioned, he has a bit of wrestling. He's capable of slowing these fights down. But you like somebody that he can either just hold down or to knock out. Demir Hanzevic would be that guy. Kwamba is 24, man. He trains in Las Vegas full-time with some of the best guys in the sport. He won against Mateo Vogel, our local Canadian, on the Contender Series. Boring fight, absolutely boring fight, but... You know, has fought in a decent level of competition, is wily, is durable. I, I could see him giving more problems to Oki than Hadzovic. So it's giving me a little bit of pause for concern. And I got to go back to the drawing board and just exactly see how much I love it, how much I want to utilize it. But yeah, at the end of the day, Kwamba is, I want to believe, a striker. I mean, his fight with the Mateo Vogel on the Contender Series, he was the one getting taken down. He was the one getting... You know, I guess they both got takedowns. They both had ground control. They both had, you know, decent grappling spots. But Mateo Vogel outstruck him by the numbers, outlanded him by the numbers. It's a boring fight. I thought Vogel may have won it, but they give it to the local Las Vegas guy. No problem. Dana doesn't like it, doesn't give him a contract. He wins one fight in between, does a head kick knockout, all striking. And now he's getting Oki on eight days' notice. Oh, Ah, it is, it's not enough for me to go for Kwamba, right? Even if you want to fight, you don't know, hey, the UFC is saying if you win this one clean, there's an offer for you. Hadzvik's got visa issues, probably just got resolved. So you fight. Now, after the fight, you have a couple of beers. Do you go back to the hotel? Do you eat some pizzas? Do you hang out with your buddies? Hit a couple of bowls? Who knows what you're doing? But yeah, I mean, your fight is concluded. Monday morning, yeah. Do you go back to the gym? Do you take a few days off? But it's like, no, they're calling. Did you take any damage? No. Jump back in do a, a three-day training camp. Can he win? Sure. But again, we're, we're stacking cards against him now. The deck is now being stacked against him. So I got to go with Balaji Oki, who again, debut, and do you want to pay the money line and blah, 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 blah. Like the, the guy's explosive. I'm hoping he goes out there. I'm hoping he does the damn thing. And uh, I don't know that he catches Kwamba as much as he just lands the bigger shots, you know, outmuscles them a little bit where need be. And uh, the judges appreciate the come forwardness, they appreciate the volume, they appreciate the bigger shots, and they give it to him. So that's all I can hope for. All right, we got Loma Lukbumi taking on Bruno Brazil. Lukbumi is a minus 265 favorite. Brazil can be had for plus 225. Who you got? Yeah, I mean, so it seems like it's Loma Lukbumi all day. But uh, again, it's just going to come down to wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. And grappling generally is the way to win these women's MMA fights. It's like you've got a clear-cut path to getting the fight to the ground, establishing top control. You're going to have a whole lot of success. The best girls are the ones that accelerate in that department. Lukbumi is this five foot one Thai girl with a very, I wouldn't say rich Muay Thai background, but something like 50, 60 fights in Muay Thai. But once she got with the Hickman brothers, once she start, you know, now she's, over from Tiger Muay Thai to Bangtao, it's all been wrestling. They're wrestlers. The culture in Thailand is not wrestling. She's got that Thai culture, but the culture of the gym that she's in is American wrestling, 
college wrestling, freestyle wrestling, go, 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 go. She, she lands basically takedowns in all these fights. Sam Hughes, four takedowns. That didn't look too bad. Lupita Godinez, she actually took Godinez down once. Got taken down five times, but took her down once. That's got to count for some. Denise Gomez, which is a, a common opponent between her and Bruno Brazil, four takedowns in her last time out against Elise Reed with the two takedowns. Elise Reed, her last fight, Taekwondo expert, fights long, a little bit taller, a little bit, you know, rangier, striker. How does the five foot one Luka Bume deal with that? No, she just crashes the pocket. She's able to cut her off when need be. She's able to press her up against the cage need be and get her takedowns. Easy money for her. Bruno Brazil is tall. Bruno Brazil has, I think, a five inch or six inch height advantage. She has a reach advantage. She's going to fight that same similar length type of battle. Luka Bume, for as much as she has a credible Muay Thai background, as much as she can fight strictly a striking battle, being that short, I wouldn't like to see it because I think Bruno Brazil just keeps her on the end of the jab, keeps her on the end of their shots, causes her to, you know, a little bit of pause and then uh, overload her, right? Use that jab to kind of like defer her crashing the pocket and doing anything. As a striking battle, I think it would be close. I think it'd be competitive. Not saying Luka Bume couldn't win or be competitive, but it would be tight. It's that ability to keep things tight long enough to get the takedown. And I think that's the key. Again, Luka Bume, she's been mixing in takedowns in all of her fights. This is her first fight in a year, which is good and bad. Bad because of the ring rust, the inactivity, all this. Good because I think she's going to have made a lot of improvements. She trains full-time. She does not have another job. She has very nice sponsors. She's got a good arrangement over there. So, you know, make it happen. And then for Bruno Brazil, like, on the Contender Series, that... Uh, Marnik man. Marchik man. March. Yeah, so nice little head kick finish. Obviously, the girl has credible kickboxing. She's long. She fights long. And she can she can put up a decent kickboxing battle, a good striking battle. But she had given up three takedowns, and it was, it was a little bit concerning. Against Denise Gomez, against the common opponent, Denise Gomez took her down three times. The same girl, the same Denise Gomez who had got taken down four times by Loka Luka, or Loma Luka Bume, is out grappling her. So you're so you're seeing not using MMA math, and everybody hates that, but you're seeing that there are levels. There's levels here. You're getting cleanly taken down by somebody who's getting cleanly taken down by now your current opponent. And then she draws um Sean O'Bannon. And I sat here with a straight face and made a case for Bannon. Simply because I don't actually think that this girl's all that good, that even Sean O'Bannon could beat her. And it's like such a bad fight. And yet Sean O'Bannon still almost won that bad fight, Paul. The striking was pretty much even. Bruna mixed in a couple takedowns here and there. That's fine. If that those takedowns aren't on the table versus Loma Luke Bume, it's going to be a problem. If the low volume that she showed against Shauna Bannon, her willingness to move backwards, going to be a problem. Her her leaky takedown defense in a small apex cage, going to be a problem. And yeah, I think the apex probably also uh, favors Loma Luke Bume because. I think she needs an interpreter, right? Like, she don't speak English to my knowledge, or at least not great. So, like, yeah, the, that tight little private space where people, your coach will be able to tell the interpreter exactly what he needs to be done. She should be she should be good enough to just grind this thing up. So, if you're looking to get a better price, I think you chase the decision. Like, local, Luma, uh, she's coming off. Loma's coming off a submission win. Mm-hmm. Her submission games probably has improved. And I'm thinking she just utilizes takedowns and top control sprinkled in with some strikes and some leg kick standing to uh, to win the decision. I know. I know it's like not the sexiest card and I'm predicting a lot of these go to decision. And that's just how I think this one shakes up. It's not it's not the most entertaining offering, but everything is entertaining if you can win money on it. So that's the angle. Bet these boring decision fights with one person as a superior wrestling skill set instead of these bangers that you think one guy 
happens to clip the other guy before they get clipped themselves. Yeah, I don't have too much to add to that. Um, yeah, it's like Loma, Loma came in as a Muay Thai fighter, but yeah, her wrestling, like she's wrestling, like she's out wrestling people who would classify themselves as wrestlers in the in the Sam Hughes, and um, you know, obviously doing it against Denise Gomes, who out wrestled Bruno at Brazil on the other side. Um, and yeah, it seems like she just keeps adding new elements to that style of her game. She's obviously, you know, five foot one. So she's like, she's always giving up a lot of size, maybe in a different world. Um, she fights, you know, at 105 pounds. Like it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibilities that, you know, if the UFC had an atom weight division that she would fight in that division. But being lower to the ground does have its benefits, and that's getting to the hips, finding takedowns, and um, you're very, very compact and hard to get off of you when, you, when you're hanging out in guard on top of that. So, yeah, the, uh, the Muay Thai kickboxer has become a wrestler, and uh, you know me. I usually look for the CF dot model, but uh, the path seems pretty wise and pretty straightforward for Loma here. Just, like, strike as much as you need to get takedowns um and rinse and repeat um unless like i'm kind of looking through the record and it's just like nah it's bruna brazil seems to be more of a of a striker than anything else like maybe she's got you know basic jujitsu and stuff but she hasn't done anything too crazy on her record that would lead you to believe that like she's got super super submission like she would have done it against you know Marnik man when she was taken down those three times like we would have seen a little bit more out of it um of her submission game that if that was a real threat for Loma which I really don't yeah. think it is and and you'll know this because you've been around the game as long as the game's been around but the biggest concern at these type of greasy WMMA matchups is the arm bar from guard but Loma mm-hmm. Luke Bume doesn't have any arms 61 inch reach dog it's just a little a little nub on there, which is probably why she's taking opponents down a lot these days. Um, you're right in your assessment. She's a 105er, but she's a 105 that's learned to adapt, and I like what she's doing. Yep. All right, we move on down. We've got Devin Clark taking on Marcin Pracnio. Devin Clark is a minus 220 favorite. Pracnio can be had for plus 185. Who do you like? So you can make a similar uh, comparison to this, to the Loma Luke Bume fight, where it's like, Devin Clark is just a better wrestler. He can take down Pracnio. He can hold, could he, could he strike with Pracnio a little bit on the feet? Maybe bits and pieces, but just use your superior skill set. Use your wrestling. Take this guy down. The difference is Loma, she can take one hell of a shot. Yeah, Devin Clark can't. So as much as I see him beating Pracnio, and he should beat Pracnio, this one also does scream first round, Devin Clark, Hot start like he always does. Presses him up against the cage. Hammer fist to the thigh. Eventually completes a takedown. Leans on him. Grinds on him. First round, sure. Second round, maybe much of the same. But he starts to fatigue. And he starts to run on fumes. And then all of a sudden he gets caught. And all of a sudden he does a stanky leg. And then all of a sudden he topples over. So that would be the issue for me. Pracniao is so limited. But he does have some decent power. And I know... The version of Khalil Roundtree that he beat is certainly not the version of Khalil Roundtree who is kicking it present day. But it was a similar situation where it was like in the third round, Roundtree's tired and Pracnyao is still throwing down. He doesn't have a great chin. No, sir. He does not have a great ability to take a punch and, and walk right through it. But Devin Clark, really not a power puncher, nor is he a striker. In fact, it's like I hope he comes out here trying to throw hands because that's going to lead to him getting clipped and getting knocked out. So... 
Clark has that clear advantage. He's got the American wrestling. He's got that junior college pedigree. He's certainly just most of his training camps rely on wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. And that is a possibility here. Marcin Pragni, I don't think is very good. But yeah, I mean, if he just lives long enough to tell the tale, he's probably going to knock Devin Clark out. And so when you look at his record, it's like, man, he gets taken down by a lot of these guys. Fair. But he had been taken down by Felipe Linz four times, let's say. But he outstruck Felipe Linz 74 to 64 and dropped a decision. He got taken down four times, never got submitted, never got knocked out, fought for the full 15 minutes, and outstruck him. Had an ability to get back to his feet. And when he got back to his feet, got busy with it. Linz, of course, is a former heavyweight that once upon a time, guy's awful, once upon a time won a million dollars in the PFL. So he's not total trash. His fight with Vitor Petrino. Petrino's good, man. Petrino took him down four times. He outstruck Petrino as well. 55 to 44 Mm -hmm. got subbed in the third round. Petrino was fishing for a couple submission attempts. So it's like he avoided the first couple, but it's late in the third and unfortunately not a great go, but Petrino to me is better than Devin Clark. And again, he survived early. He got taken down early, worked his way back up to his feet and starts to put a little bit of volume on you. He's got more power than Clark. He's got better striking than Clark. He's got more volume than Clark. There is an obvious hole in his game that Clark can exploit, but you'd have to be able to exploit it hard for 15 minutes. And, like Clark doesn't, I wouldn't say he doesn't have heart, but it's like he's a middleweight. He's always been a middleweight. He fights at 205, sure. And he's got giant legs on him. Oh my God. But outside of massively unproportioned thighs, he's a small guy, man. And he doesn't take a great punch. He's been rocked plenty of times. Some of these fights where he gets submitted by Kenny and Jaku, it's like he gets hit. Then he starts to make bad decisions because he doesn't want to get hit anymore. And then he gets caught. Practically, I'm not going to submit him, but Pragnev just needs to hit him cause him to second guess himself, cause him to get a little bit desperate and capitalize on that. So Merzikhanov knocked him out. Uh, he's been dropped in quite a few of these fights. Uh, Alexander Rakic, that's spinning back for this once upon a time. His UFC debut against Alex Nicholson. There's no doubt that there's a path of victory that lives there in knocking out Devin Clark. Is it going to happen in the first round? Maybe not. You like these long plays, right? Like, what? what's a Pragnia third-round knockout? Pragnia. Something like that is live on the table. Sounds crazy. Maybe it's crazy. Bookmakers will give you a crazy price, but it's possible. Let's see. Pragnia round three. 20 to one. I mean, he's probably going to... I don't think he has any submission skills whatsoever. So what's him by KO round three? 24. That, 24. Yeah, that, that would be that would be the move. Don't hate it. Don't I'm to, I'm totally with you. It's like I totally see obviously Devin Clark can utilize his wrestling, make this an ugly fight. Um I mean even though Pragnia is long like taller than him by three inches, he's a little bit bigger. Um, their reach is pretty comparable, actually. Um, Devin Clark, apparently, according to UFC stats, has a one-inch reach advantage. But, um, you know, Pracneo's legs are obviously longer. He utilizes those kicks. I suppose throwing those kicks is going to leave himself open to the takedown. Like, there's 100% a path to victory for Devin Clark. But oh yeah, I'm more inclined to bet Devin Clark when he's an underdog because of his style. He slows down fights. He makes it ugly. But it's like... Now you're asking me to pay minus 220 on a price tag for a guy that, like, when he wins, most of the time, those fights are relatively competitive, you know? Um, can he get takedowns? Can he hold top control? Yeah. But it's like Marcin Pragnio, you brought up the perfect examples. Like, 
Petrino is like a, a high-end prospect on the rise. And um, when they were on the feet, you know, Pracnia was kind of showing some holes in Petrino's game. Obviously, Petrino was able to get those takedowns, get him down, and then, you know, sealed it with a finish late in round three. But, um, yeah, he showed that, that one, that he was able to get back up and he was able to make it kind of difficult. So um, I'm with you. Pretty clear dogger pass. And, I mean, if you're telling me to, to be sprinkling plus 2,400s, I mean, yeah, let's go, baby. I, I, I can only I can only hold myself in so much. Um, you know, I like to gamble, so I will. Uh, Pracnia round three, your you know your sprinkle of the week. Uh, Jeremiah Wells takes on Max Payne Griffin. Jeremiah Wells minus one sixty favorite. Griffin can be had for plus one forty. There's no doubt in my mind. Jeremiah Jeremiah Wells is like you know. I mean, he looks the part. Guy's super, super jacked. I believe he's a BJJ black belt. Just ends up in, like, a lot of, like, dodgy situations in a lot of these fights, Cody. You know, Blood Diamond, what, like, right off the opening hop at the beginning of that fight, he's, like, trying to circle around the cage, almost blows out his ankle. That was weird. Samuelsberger, I mean, in a different universe... Semmelsberger, that fight gets stopped. Semmelsberger ends up winning because Semmelsberger rocks him. I don't know. Jeremiah Wells, he's obviously, you know, super, super built. He's got skills, and he's, like, because he's so, like, strong, it's like if he lands an absolute nuke, he's going to cause some problems for you. But we've seen some, like, real inconsistencies with him as well. At minus 160 against... Uh, a, a, a proven veteran of a guy who's pretty, you know, durable, skilled and, and well-rounded in the game. Another, this is another fight that I'm tempted Cody to take a shot on the underdog Max Griffin here. Uh, what's your take? Dude, a hundred percent. This is a dog worthy shot. Now let's discuss this thing. Cause I don't, I, I don't know if I can get there, but I want to get there. Let's start with Jeremiah Wells. Jeremiah Wells knows where the bodies are buried. Don't know why they do this guy so many favors, but they do. He signs to the UFC and he was, because he's currently 37 years old, right? He signed to the UFC at, must have been 35? Yeah, just before, shy of his 35th birthday. And yet he had less than 10 pro fights. So doesn't fight very often. He's a Henzo Gracie BJJ black belt out of Philadelphia. Guy's got a tight grappling game. He doesn't really fight that often. He doesn't fight great guys. He's, you know, here and there once in a while. And he gets a big spot against Worley Alves as a huge underdog. And just bull rushes him and beats him. Worley Alves, because keep in mind, he was a plus 210 underdog against Worley Alves. Worley Alves since is 0-2. He lost his next two fights after Jeremiah Wells. Then they give him Mike Matheta. He beats Blood Diamond. Blood Diamond is 0-2. He lost his very next two fights after he lost to Jeremiah Wells. Court McGee is 0-1 since he fought Jeremiah Wells and he retired. And Matthew Semmelsberger is 0-2 since he fought Jeremiah Wells. Those four guys combined for an 0-7 record in their fights after fighting Jeremiah Wells. He's fighting the absolute bottom of the barrel. And as you mentioned, a couple spots. Rolled his ankle against against Blood Diamond and also kind of struggled to take him down early. Mm Mm-hmm. 
His fight with Worley Alves, he's running on fumes. His fight with Matthew Semmelsberger, he got rocked twice. Once he hit the deck. And yeah, a, a shittier rev would have stopped the fight. None of that bodes well. Then his loss against Carlson Harris his last time out, he was up two rounds. He won the first two rounds and got caught by an anaconda choke in the third. So do I see Max Griffin subbing him in the third with an anaconda? No. But do you know why he gave up that fight what, being up two rounds? Because he's tired. He's super jacked. He's 37 years old. He doesn't have a ton of experience. And he doesn't have a ton of experience fighting deep into fights. So it, it, that's all problematic for me. Does he get takedowns here against Max Griffin and make things difficult for him? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> but Max Griffin's far and beyond the best guy he's fought and should definitely pose him some problems. As we're talking about guys, 0-7, bottom of the barrel, that's not the issue for, for Max Griffin. He's coming off a fight with Mike Morales. Two fights back, he had a split decision, lost to Neil Magny, uh, went over Carlos Condit. He generally fights good guys. But here's what I like about him, that's super sneaky flying under the radar. It doesn't look like a lot of his fights, especially when he wins his decision and he just lands a little more volume and he's he's a generalist, he's well-rounded, but he doesn't do anything exceptionally well. But he's got really sneaky, badass power, right? If you look at his fight with uh, Tim Means, it's a split decision win for him, but he did knock down Tim Means. His fight right before that, Neil Magny, it's a split decision loss, but he did knock down Neil Magny. The fight before that with Carlos Condit, he outstruck him 93-63, to 63, unanimous decision, but he did knock down Carlos Condit. And the fight before that, he flat out knocked out Song Kanan in two minutes. And Song Kanan's actually not all that bad, Paul Shaughnessy. So... A knockout and then three straight fights with knockdowns. Like, he scored one knockdown and four of his last five fights. Does the knockout materialize? Maybe not, but, like, he can touch you and he can do some damage. And the problem with Wells is the shots that Semmelsberger was landing on him didn't look that heavy. They didn't look that clean. It's like they'd hit him and he just, his whole momentum would sway. Luckily for him, Semmelsberger cannot wrestle and he was able to just take him down and, and kind of control him, but... That's problematic, man, because Max Griffin can wrestle. He's a much better wrestler than Matthew Semmelsberger. He packs equal amount of heat. He's got way more experience. He's got better quality victories, and he's getting a little bit older. But Wells is older, too, so this is actually a good spot for him kind of across the map. I mean, his last time out with Michael Morales, we know that Michael Morales can wrestle, Comes from a, I think his parents were like a judo background. Guy can grapple. And he went one for one against Max Griffin. And I would see Jeremiah Wells also getting some early takedowns. This becomes another fight, another situation where you may give up those early takedowns. Petrosian might be giving up early takedowns. Marcin Pracnio might be giving up early takedowns. We need to get these guys to work, to fatigue, and we'll catch them late. There's other fights like Loma Lupume. Yeah, I'm not worried about that. She's not going to fade in that third round. There's key apple pie shitters on this card who generally get tired in the third round and they're relying on wrestling against these superior strikers. This one becomes another one of them. Wells probably takes him down. He probably holds him down. He probably neutralizes him. But subbing him is going to be tough. And holding him down every round for 15 full minutes without getting hit is also going to be tough. So... It's not like I run screaming saying I want the underdog in this spot. I, I I recognize clear value in this spot. Is it simply comes down to it's a dogger pass, man. It's absolutely a dogger pass. And in the sane world, you'd maybe just take the pass. But on the dogger pass podcast where you're required to make a pick. Yeah, no, no. I take the dog. Take the dog.
big dog and dog or pass type of situation. Um, yeah, cool. We're on the same page there. It seems like we're on the. I mean, last week when we were on the same page, like every single card, it turned into an absolute bloodbath. So I'm taking this as we are due, which is totally 100 percent a thing in, in gambling. That's you know that's just that's just the way it works. We are so due, bro. Um, moving on down, we got Zach Pauga taking on Bogdan Guskov. Minus 120 for Pauga, plus 100 for Guskov. Kind of like a tale of two styles here. Bog Bogdan is going to come in there and try to take your head off early and often. And Pauga, it's like my biggest struggle with this guy is that like I don't really see much um you know killer instinct whatsoever. He wants to fight his fight, he wants to fight at range. Obviously, he had see significant success um when he was on the ultimate fighter um but since then you know his his ability to take damage getting knocked out by uh by Usman not a great look my biggest struggle with him and why I have like a blood feud with him is like mate you took Jordan Wright to decision that just doesn't happen um for like who I think is going to win this fight, I don't, I'm I'm very very torn. I'm interested to hear what you have to say. I am what I'm actually tempted on betting in this fight is the over one and a half rounds because it's like it's it's a pickle over one and a half rounds minus one fifteen. It's like if you can bring um, the Beverly Hills Ninja Jordan Wright to decision. You can bring Bogdan to decision as well, as long as Bogdan doesn't knock his head off, which is obviously in play. But uh, for a pick of the actual fight, I'll, I'm, I'm going to let you take this one, and uh, I'll circle back. Because like, getting knocked out by Muhammad Usman is, is concerning, uh, 100%. But in fairness, that was at heavyweight. This is at light heavyweight. He did go to decision against Modest, Modestus Bukakis. Bukakis has been making some serious... Um, improvements in his game and is obviously long and, and all of that. I don't, I don't think Bogdan's any good. Maybe he could clip him. Okay, I, okay, I'll take Pauga, but what I'm actually interested in betting is the over one and a half rounds here. Uh, Yeah, well, the over one and a half rounds because they're heavyweights and they're low-level heavyweights, and Pauga's probably going to look to just lean on him as he did against, uh, against Jordan Wright. Yeah, light, light, right. Pog is down into light heavyweight now. Yeah, it's it's just it's not a, it's not a sexy look. Maybe it's a bog. Maybe it's a grind. Maybe it gets that over one and a half. But I don't like the durability right here from Bogdan Guskov at all. I think he's been a can crusher, largely on the regional scene. Maybe the records look good, but click on like if it says seven and two, and you click on it, and now it's seven and seven. The, the guy's not good. He looked good at the time. Guskov got a quick quality little victory, a quick first round finish, but for the most part. I'm not totally sold on this guy. His what is, I guess that uh, 2020 Vasilev Vasilevsky. People will remember him from the Bellator middleweight tournaments. He's not that big of a guy. He moves up 20 pounds to light heavyweight and just dices Guskov in three minutes. Guskov, when he fights an actually decent striker, he can't take the return fire. When he fights guys that are half as good as him or half as small as him, and he's just putting pressure on them. Yeah, he beats those guys, but. Def- Okay, no marvel. So he comes in. Okay, where did the guy look good? Absolutely nowhere. I don't think he's got more than three, four minutes of cardio. I don't think he's got great takedown defense. I don't think he's got a chin. He, yeah, he's just one of these guys that's gonna 
try to punch you out. A power puncher, a one-dimensional power puncher who generally punches out cans. Not enough for me. When I look at Zaupauga, yeah, he's not very good. But when he was on the contender, or sorry, when he was on the Ultimate Fighter, he's a 205er fighting heavyweights. He wins both of his fights on the show. Look good. He actually looked like the best heavyweight. He's the number one ranked seated guy. And he's the favorite over Kamara Usman's brother, Muhammad Usman. He won the first round against Muhammad Usman. Overall, outstruck him like 32 to 16, but uh, he ran into a big shot. Heavyweights be heavyweights. It happens. I think I messed with his psyche. He'd never been knocked out, and he had taken plenty of big shots in his career. So against Jordan Wright, who's so one-dimensional, but again, another one of these, that one dimension is his ability to be explosive with his arsenal. He's an offensive dynamo that'll put heavy pressure on you. So Pelga takes the path of least resistance. Now keep in mind, here's a 205 that trains at altitude, has decent cardio, and is used to fighting bigger men. So it's boring, but it's effective for him because he's actually good at controlling guys up against the cage. And then the last fight with Modestus, as you mentioned, not a great fight. He, he struggled with the length, but of course, by the numbers, he outstrikes him 67 to 56 and has the one lone takedown. Loses the fight. Watch the fight. He's losing the rounds. The bigger shots are coming. He's chasing for the most part. But the work rate was there. He tried to implement the wrestling again. He did get the one takedown. It wasn't like it was some big blowaway performance. Now, he's not young, uh, but I just think he's green. You know, he's still adding elements to his game. He didn't have a ton of experience. It's not crazy to think he's going to get smidget better, the smallest smidget better. But in the event that he doesn't, doesn't matter because I think it's good enough to take on Guskov. And so strikes per minute landed. I think Pauga averages about four, four and a half. Uh, Guskov, it's hard to say because he just has the one fight in the UFC against Uzdemir. But I think if he just tries to land those one big singular punches, Pauga presses him up against the cage, holds him there, makes him, leans on him, makes him carry his weight for a little bit, tires him out for a little bit. And then that second and third round, Guskov's going to be cooked. And when he's cooked, Pauga, who does not have cardio problems, should still be either pressing him up against the cage, making him work, or he'll let his hands go. And if he lets his hands go, he can knock Guskov out. I think a lot of guys could knock out Guskov. I think Zach Pauga could do it. Now, your theory with the over one and a half, I don't mind that. Because if Pauga's not stupid, lean on him for a round and a half and then look to take him 100%. He did it against Wright because it's the smart thing to do. Do it against Guskov. You lost to Muhammad Uman because he he's not a power puncher, Muhammad Uman, by the way, but he was a big heavyweight and he clipped you. Jordan Wright, he could maybe clip you. Path of least resistance. And he did that. This is another situation. Guskov could clip you. Path of least resistance. The difference is Jordan Wright had five fights in the UFC, six fights in the UFC, <clears throat> and trained at Jackson Wink, which was at one time a premier gym destination. He had some experience. He fought a couple rounds. Guskov, this is a sophomore outing. He's got three minutes of ring time, and generally his fights in the regional scene don't last all that long. I think Pelga could break this man. Does he get him right after that one and a half? I think a smart game plan would imply that, yeah. All right. We got Hyder Amil taking on Fernie Garcia, minus 190 for Amil, plus 165 for Garcia. Who you got? So Hydro Mills got apple pie shitter written all over him, but then he's taking down Fernie Garcia, who's moving up a weight class and taking the fight on like four days notice. Mm -hmm. So you don't fade him. You don't fade him because now it's an undesirable spot. But I'm turning 33 this year. So when you hear me say stuff like, guys, 33 years old, like I get it. It's a shot at myself. And it's not like you're late in life to be doing something. I'm in the prime of my life. I'm getting in the prime of my life. Best yet to come. But from an athletic standpoint, I should already be established in something like the UFC or in the NBA or in the NHL. But you'd be 33 years old and be on the contender series. Yeah, not the end of the world. 
but where where was he buried up? How come this guy doesn't even have 10 pro fights left? And then you look at his regional show fights, Paul. Ignacio Ortiz, he wins a split decision over a 2-0 guy, okay? Then he beats a 3-1 guy at LFA 117. Devontae Sewell, very familiar with Devontae Sewell. I love to fade Devontae Sewell. He's a 9-7, middle-of-the-road journeyman-type fighter. And he wins a split decision over him as well. Should it have been unanimous? Sure. But was it a close fight versus a guy that it shouldn't have been a close fight against? Absolutely. And this fight is less than two years ago. He beat Chase Gibson, but Chase Gibson gave him a hell of a tough first round. He just ended up catching him in the second, and then bam, he's on the contender series. The fight on the contender series I thought was awful. Uh, Emil outstruck him 26 to 22. He also got taken down five times. He got about four minutes of top control himself. He landed up on top. He does. He's a very physically strong guy. He's moving forward. He's looking to make it happen. There's just not much of substance to me that's actually happening. So I didn't think they should have signed him. Uh, but because he's 33 and he's out of Gilbert Melendez's gym and it's like pisser get off the pot time for him. I, the UFC gives him the contract. They booked him against Shalayan Nurmbayaki. That would have been a tough-ish fight. They booked him against Melsic Bagasarian. That would have been an awful fight for him. None of those fights materialize, and now he gets <laughs> Fernie Garcia. And so as we talked about with Fernie, Fernie is undersized to begin with. He's moving up a weight class. He's had no success in the UFC so far, going 0-3. But the one thing that I will admit for this guy, right, is that Jeremy Newsom took him down twice. Brady Heastead took him down three times. And Rina Nakamura, who's a stud, took him down four times. He didn't look totally out of place in those fights. It's that clearly there's a takedown defense issue for him. Mm -hmm. Hyder Emil, I mean, he's coming off a fight against Emra Somnes where he was the one that got taken down yeah. five times on 23 attempts. And he himself never shot a single takedown. So yeah, the output's low because he's just constantly defending shot after shot, ending up on top. But one has to wonder, can he strike hard for 15 minutes? One has to wonder, is he suddenly going to go, hey, Fernie always loses when he gets taken down. I'm going to do something I'm not... My, it's not my primary game plan. You don't know. You don't know. He might get caught in the moment of, it's my UFC debut. It's I'm in this tiny little apex, which is weird. I've never fought. Like, I guess he fought in the contender series, but, you know, it's a debut. It's a weird setting. Fernie's already got three fights in the UFC, and he's taking the fight on a week's notice. Like, the pressure's not really on him. He's getting caught either way. It doesn't really matter. Go out and fight your heart out. But Fernie usually is taken down all the time, so you're not seeing volume out of him. You're not seeing what he's good at. You're just seeing him on his back for the most part. If Emil does not do that, he's allowing Fernie to fight a proper game plan for a change and make something work. And being the smaller man, yeah, he's small. On the other hand, he's fast, and he's got more volume. So three days notice, listen, I don't want to get behind it. 0-3, Fernie, I don't want to get behind it. Moving up a weight class... I don't want to get behind it, but it's like, because just because I like, you can see the obvious issues with Freddie Garcia. Don't let that fool you into thinking that Hyder Emil is suddenly like, maybe he'll go out and prove me wrong and be the pick of the week. Like, I, I don't know. It's just from a confidence standpoint, looking at it pre-flop, there's just so much for this man to still answer. And it's not, ah, you know, he's 25 years old and he just won a contract to the USC. He's 33 years old and he has less than 10 pro fights. Do you see him getting marginally better between fights? I don't. I think this is the version of him that's going to compete in the USC for the next two, maybe three years, go about two and three, maybe three and three, and get released. I think that's that's where his ceiling's at. So it's hard to have confidence in a guy that you otherwise wouldn't have any confidence in just because he's taking on a short-notice, small replacement who 
looks bad on paper, but is capable of coming in here and actually giving him problems. So I'll take a meal because I'm a coward, but like I don't, I don't, uh, I don't love it, and it'll be, it's not going to be high up this week. Everything you said led, led me to believe that like Fernie's the play, except for like moving up short notice, obviously. But like all these guys, especially when you have like these low, like guys are ready in Vegas these days, right? Like everyone, everyone knows these cars are coming up. You have fourteen fights. Like somebody's gonna drop out. Um, Fernie would have. He has had such a hard, like, not, I guess not. not. Journey, getting taken down by Journey Newsom twice is, like, a really, really bad look. Brady Highstand's a pretty solid wrestler in his own right. I love Fernie. I mean, for, what I'm going to remember Fernie most for is, like, I had a fat bag on, uh, on Rinya Nakamura by submission. And him and fighting out of those submissions. Multiple, no, I had a fat bag on Rinya to win by submission. Oh. It was like, it was really, because I'm like, he's going to try to take him down. Like He's not going to try to, like, grapple with this guy. And he did, and he had multiple submission opportunities. And Fernie fought out of them. Like, Fernie did pretty well in the grappling department against somebody of Rinya Nakamura's, you know, talent. Exactly. I was pretty impressed by that. Um, obviously, he's got Dynamite's hands. And Cody, he's Mexican. He's never been knocked out. Surprise, surprise. Mexicans don't get knocked out. Um, it seems pretty clearly a dogger pass type of thing. I'm gonna wait until weigh-ins. Um, we'll see like what these guys look like when they stand next to each other. Obviously, Hyder and Mill looks pretty jacked. Maybe maybe there's like a massive size disparity that I'm not accounting for. But um, if this is you know based on the stats of that contender series fight, if this turns into like a striking match in a small cage. Give me the guy with you know you know of a. Uh, that obviously has never been knocked out and um it's shown that he can like he can bang on the feet for sure so i mean if you have journey newsome trying to take you down you know that you're probably throwing some heat on the feet um finally we got daniel marcos taking on a richie lang minus 250 for marcos plus 210 for a richie lang i don't know if this is like actually the bout order it's kind of i guess is this punishment for uh for robbing uh, Davy Grant last time out. Is that what's going on here? I mean, I guess he's had three fights that have been canceled in between that. Yeah, I was going to say. I think but it's, it's weird to see like a guy it. who's, you know, what, 15-0 and 0, um, be buried, buried on the early prelims like this in, uh, in Daniel Marcos. Uh, what's your take here, buddy? Yeah, I would think he's obviously pulled the – I don't know. It's not like they're always his fault, but uh, Victor Hugo missed weight, right? So they got on the scales and they missed weight. And this is this is like the dirty little, it's the dirty aspect of the game that gets overlooked, right? I've been on the promotional side of things. I've been on the matchmaking side of things. I've been on that side of it. When a guy misses weight and the fighter declines, he has the right to do so. The smart thing is likely to do so. It screws up a lot of stuff for you. If you're committed to this fight. So when it's two pounds, the guy's 10 pounds, yeah, you get it. When it's a few pounds, it's like, ah, oh, man, you don't want to fight him. No, man, I think I'm going to sit this one out. It's like, really? Yeah, okay. Now we got to move the card back a half hour. Now we got to, you know, have a production meeting. And now we have to do all these different things. And we go on to book this guy and he wants his show money. And 
it's a mess. So I don't know. I don't know if he was, they were upset by that, or I don't know if they were uh, upset by, he couldn't get his visa in time for the Carlos Vera fight. Like, I don't know, but yeah, to have a 15 and 0 guy who's two and 0 in the UFC, one and 0 in the contender series as your curtain jerker on an awful card mm -hmm. in an otherwise really fun matchup. Like Richie Lang's never been in a bad fight. He loses all the time. He's not the most skilled guy, but the fights deliver entertainment wise. So Unless, like, the Peruvian time zone, they want this guy early so they can watch him, or the Chinese time zone, they want I mean, their the guy on early. Peruvian so time they can zone watch will him. be the exact same time zone as Vegas, man. I guess South America's a straight shot up. Yeah, okay. Well, maybe what's the Chinese time zone? Is it 12 hour difference? Maybe 11 hour you difference? You know, that's probably the more likely reason why it's on. Um, that actually makes a lot of sense. Like, what time is it? Time in Beijing. Because, like, when we're recording but this it, right now, it would probably be pretty close it... to, it would be like, yeah. So, right now, when we're recording, it's four, it's almost five o'clock Eastern. So, it's, uh, I don't know like, if that would make sense. Well, right now, because me and you are in different time zones, so that's, like, completely throwing me off. So, I'm in Atlantic yeah, are, time, so it's five, it's 12 yeah. hours difference from me. Um. So maybe when does this card start? I think you're on to something okay. with the Orichi Lang Chinese market, why they would bury him there. Um, I'll, I'll, actually, I'll no, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever theory. because that would be it's first thing in the morning. No, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. That's, there, what, that's what I'm saying. I'll, I'll defeat my own theory right now. It doesn't matter because they've got so many times on this card. This card's got guy from count for me, guy from China, guy from Peru, guy from Mexico. United States, Uzbekistan, Poland, Thailand, Brazil, Belgium, Armenia, Ukraine. We already say Poland. I think you may have said. Yeah, Poland. we already said Poland. What is that? Thirteen? Fourteen? I, I, Sweden? I Sorry, Sweden in the main event. Twelve. Oh yeah. Okay, let me carry it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. <laughs> Eight, nine, ten, eleven. Yeah, yeah, eleven, eleven different countries. Yeah, it's just a great matchup. Thailand. I don't know if you said Thailand. Yeah, it's eleven or twelve. It's eleven or twelve different countries, but the main, the main th
kind of get some confidence going and learn a few things along the way. Marco's at his best is more of a volume guy. He stays to the outside. And he's going to pick him apart. If you look back at his fight with Brandon Lewis, he landed 81 significant strikes and a knockdown, but he was largely getting out wrestled by Lewis. Lewis went two for 15, I think, on takedowns. So to land 81 significant strikes while a guy's trying to cling to you the whole time, it's impressive. This fight was Simon, Simon Mirage. He knocks him out. It's uh, before the under one and a half. He knocks him out in under one and a half rounds and had landed 53 significant strikes in under one and a half rounds. That puts him on pace for another over 100 significant strikes. The volume's there. And then what the hell was the effort versus Davy Grant? He just froze up. He just stood there and he stared. And Grant worked him, man. Grant's Grant good, though. Grant's him. Always, Grant is good. Grant's always underrated, though. Like, I think this Grant's, is... Yeah, you're right. I'll, right. I'll let you finish, but I've got an idea of what to do with this fight. To me, he was a favorite. We played him. We were hoping he would look a lot better. I thought he I lost. Grant, we gave him I thought Simpson. I got right. I was, so, I was so happy when they gave it to Marcos because <laughs> I had Marcos. But it was like he stood and he stared. And it was partly Grant's good. And it was partly he was worried about the counterpunching. And it became a low-volume affair where he made it very subjective. Uh, he did get one takedown, but he held Grant down for like six or seven seconds, and that was it. So not much doing from it. When I look at this fight with the Richie Lang, he himself is also low volume, but a big power puncher. So if you're worried about that power, if you decide to approach it the same way you approach Grant and be a low volume technical affair, you're playing right into his hand. And on top of that, his biggest weakness is his takedown defense. And Daniel Argos is probably not going to try to exploit that. So you're having a subjective kickboxing match which is low output, and the judges, they gave you the decision last time. They could screw you the next time. You need to worry out for that. Again, what's the reasons why you don't got the cojones? I ranked this guy as a decent prospect. And as you said, Grant is no slouch, and I'm going to agree with that. Winning that fight does mean something, and hopefully we see a better version of him. He's pulled out of a couple fights, but one was his opponent missed weight, and the other one was visa issues. So there's no underlying injury. There's no inconsistency. There's no... You know, anxiety. There's nothing that you should really be concerned about. He's still 30 years old, but just getting into the prime of his life. Love these Peruvian guys. They're cast iron. They got good cardio. And last but not least, with Orichi Lang, if the durability is a little off the table, the output's a little bit low, the re the takedown defense isn't necessarily there. You know, does he does he does he spring the upset? Probably not. So he's live. You know, 35 fight veteran, but I think. The superior fighter will probably win outright, and that's uh, Daniel Marcos. So, Marcos by decision would be my best get, my my, my best guess. But uh, again, this is just like a very international, tough to call card. You want to have way more confidence in some of these guys, but you don't because of past inconsistencies. I think it's like such a massive step down in competition versus David Grant, who's been around the block, has fought some of the best guys in the division for Daniel Marcos. It was a bad performance by Marcos. Frankly, I thought Davy Grant won. Am I biased? Yes, because I had uh, a Davy Grant ticket. But, um, like, Marcos by KO is, like, plus 300. And, I mean, there's only a few props or only a few shops with props that are open. Maybe after last performance, you know, he brings it a little bit more to the table here. I know he's not, like, some sort of big-time knockout powerhouse by any stretch of the imagination, but neither was Zahabi, and that one, that fight was over super fast. Maybe that's just MMA being MMA, and that, you know, that his ch 
just caught him in the perfect, perfect spot. Those types of things happen. But like plus 300 for Marco's KO seems pretty generous in this spot, to be perfectly honest. I think it's a massive mismatch in terms of overall talent. Um, so yeah, Marcos is the pick for me. Um, I, I'm going to see like if other books open, maybe a slightly better price than the plus 300, but don't hate it. Um, yeah. I haven't actually made any sort of bets this week. The guys that I have circled, um, uh, obviously Marcos KO, I just talked about, we both like Jack, uh, Jack Hermanson, uh, Dan E. Gay, uh, Ehor Pretoria, G-Rod, I'm not sure what to do with him. Maybe he's a parlay piece. Michael Johnson, probably just a straight play there on his money line. Marcin Pracknell and Cody's, you know, massive long shot, uh, 24-1. to 1. Marcin Pracknell, round, round three KO. Uh, I'll be throwing a sprink on that. Max Griffin. Fernie Garcia is considerable, but I want to see weigh-ins on that. And then, yeah, as Marcos KO, which we just talked about. Hit him with the PRP code. PRP, I think it's going to be Dog City this week. I just don't have enough of them. But we're going to start off with one, Jack Hermanson. We're going to go with Dan Ige. We're going to go with Ihor Pedoria, which is uh, dog number two. We're going to go with Gregory Rodriguez, Michael Johnson, Armin Petrosian, dog number three. Carlos Prades, Lomaluk Bume, Marcin Man, I just feel so sick to my stomach. But I guess that would be a decent dog number four. Griffin, I want... Okay, I'm not going to take Pragny. I'll go Devin Clark because I'm a coward. But I will take Max Griffin. That's my dog number four. And we're going to go Zach Pauga, Hyder Emil, and Daniel Marco. So 14 fight card, four underdogs. I can see five or six of these dogs coming through as Paul and I highlighted in some of them. There's a, there's a lot of variation. There's a lot of action that could go down and hopefully it's in our favor. So... I think I'm going to chase some of these props. I don't know if I'll release like a tweet or anything like that. If you've listened to the show, you know what we like and what we don't like. But uh, because of the large number of fights being 14, there's an LFA card, which is equally as good in some spots as this card. There's a BFL, I think, on the Thursday. There's a bunch of other MMA actions. Like, I think I'm just going to try to pick and choose and then force some stuff. But the anchors this week, as disgusting as it sounds, like, like let's just say life was good, right? Zach Pauga's only minus 125. There's so much value there. Uh, Armin Petrosian is even money. Tons of value there. Michael Johnson's only minus 130. Like, literally, if just if just those three guys hit on a parlay, it's, it's six to one. <laughs> because it's actual value. It's just like, which one of them s- screws it up? Zach Pauga, well, he's done that a few times. Mike Johnson? Mike Johnson's made a career. Out of shitting in the apple pie. Let me tell you. Aaron Petrosian, dude, that's my guy. But is he gonna be sick again? Is he gonna be ill? Like you never know. There's always variants. But this would be a card if we could if we could tie some winners together. It would pay handsomely. And of course, the way our system is, you lose, you lose, you lose, you win. And when you win, gotta win bigger than what you've been losing. So <laughs> be a great week to start off on that, Paul. It would be a great week to hit the PRP this week. Uh for you and for everyone. All the PRP faithful. I mean, what you do is really impossible, though, right? Like, I mean, here's here's the truth of the matter, though. Not everyone f- tails every single one of your tears there, right, Code? Like, a lot yeah, of people just, just do the flat PRP, and then if it gets to the final fight, they hedge at the end. Um, but, yeah. Um, yeah. I hope you had a PRP this week, because... Then I will hit a PRP this week. But that is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. 
For producer Megan and Cody Saftik, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.